all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok at All Bad Things Pod. Oh, also Twitch, technically. Uh, also Twitch. <laughs> there, there are quite a few Twitches in our Twitch. They're first all ever, pathetic, uh, too. Yeah. But we tried. We'll, we'll figure it out the next time. Uh, email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Yeah, we attempted on Halloween yeah. to do a Twitch stream. We just have not the tech to do what we were trying to do in that moment. Because it was on the PC. Okay. And the PC's not the best computer we have. Did we have to download stuff on the PC, I'm guessing? For, fa- for Phasmophobia, yes. Oh, okay. Uh-huh, yeah. We attempt- well, you, you did end up playing it with Sarah. I did. Did you like it? I did. It was fun. Fun game? Yeah. No. It did seem creepy. It was a little bit. Yeah. Um. So that was our gaming life. It yeah, basically went. Our... Basically went like that. Yes. <laughs> For approximately ten minutes of us trying to figure it out and it going too slow to really work. Way too slow. Yeah. But thank you. Thanks, PC. <laughs> thanks, Obama. <laughs> and thank you to the one person who actually was watching. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Definitely. Thank you to that. They probably thought it was hilarious. Though. Yeah. Hopefully. They're like, look at these fucking clowns. <laughs> if you can't be, if you can't be good, at least be entertaining. Yeah. I don't know. Um. By now, I'm thinking we've wrapped up the Christmas gift exchange. Okay. So we'll probably, hopefully, either have already gotten everybody their recipients, or will very soon. Um, and this is coming out on November eighth. Yes. Okay. Yes, day one for me of my new job. Yes. So hopefully that's going well, mm-hmm. future Rachel. Yes. <laughs> um, what you drinking? I am drinking Fanta Flora's supper table, which I've never had. It's it's a sweet potato autumn ale brewed with vanilla, ginger, cardamom. Mm-hmm. clover allspice and cinnamon this will be interesting it's either going to be great or terrible yeah it's possible can we eat it those it's pretty good yeah you yeah like you it? want to try yeah. it it tastes yeah, more yeah. like a um almost tastes like a pumpkin beer it does maybe, you maybe know it's, it's the it's sweet spice. potato and the spice yes yeah, sweet potatoes not mm-hmm. it's that actually pretty good for a beer from... it is pretty good mm-hmm. i agree yeah well, I am. Uh, thank you, Fla- thank you, Flantaflora. 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 Mm-hmm. We expect a six pack That's in the middle. That's out of Raleigh, right? Flantaflora is, I think so. Sure. Mm-hmm. I uh, I am drinking the only color. It, well, it's one of two. It well, it's possibly one of three names. <laughs> okay. So this says it is brewed at Ponysaurus. Oh, okay. Which is in Durham. It is. But it says Black to- Blacktoberfest. Black Vegan Street. The only color we see is green. Wheat Ale. I'm not sure which. Uh, I think that <laughs> the only color we see is green is the actual name. <laughs> Maybe it's literally all of them. They're yeah. just like, well, I just have three names. At least it's vegan, I'm assuming, considering it the It says name. it right on the can. Yes. Uh, hashtag <laughs> support black brewers. Okay. Okay. Um, I didn't know uh, Pony Source was black owned. Unless it's like either. a collab or something. 
Green. Oh, it is. It is a collab. Green Imaj. E-I-M-A-J. Huh. Okay. And uh, it is a wheat ale brewed with cucumber, lime, and rosemary extract. I'm going to go with that pronouncement as image. Oh, probably. Just spelled differently. So it's good. I'm not 100% sure if it'll be your thing because I can taste the rosemary. And I know you're not a huge fan of rosemary. I am not. But, uh... Watch out for the computer. (laughs) It didn't work. Okay. But you can give it a try. All right. Let's see what we got here. And this has been our beer corner to start out for tonight. (laughs) Ah, no. Mm-mm. It's rosemary, it's, right? Yeah. And you don't like rosemary, and so you can taste like it, it quite a bit. It's pretty floral, like mm-hmm. very or, um, aromatic. Yeah, yes. gonna have to pass on that one. Mm-hmm. I'll be a no from you. But it's a it's a no from me. <laughs> my best my best Simon impression. Oh, on American Idol. Yes. <laughs> that little girl's face said it all. <laughs> Which is one of the funniest fucking like, uh, like deep cuts i've ever seen anybody like get on tv that was like one of the funniest things i've ever seen i still watch it every now and then what what happened that was the i had kind of stopped watching it at this point and like watched like you know every now and then but that Mm -hmm. was when what the hell was the kid's name he was like 17 sanjaya do you remember that yes Was he the guy that they he just was kept the guy, on because he was yeah, bad? He couldn't sing for shit, but he was so popular. Everyone I mean, the, the judges don't vote. They just it's judge. The, it's but the they people. let him in the contest in the first place. They did. And then he that just... That was a novelty. But then they couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> and, and uh, like, he kind of became, like, a teen heartthrob right. for, like, five minutes. Uh-huh. But there was one show. He was, like, in the final four or something. Uh-huh. And there was this little girl in the front row, like, crying because he was singing. Oh, because she was so excited to see you. Yes, and what's his name? The host is... No, the host. Oh, Um, uh, Ryan Seacrest? Yes, is like, like, judges, what did you think of the performance? And and fucking Simon Cowell goes, I think that little girl's face says it all. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't think anybody understood what he was saying, that it was such a, like, low low blow (laughs) comment. It was hilarious. Oh, man. It really was. Oh, man. You'll have to show that to me. Yes. (laughs) All right, now are we ready I for guess the so. terrible part? Since we've, uh, yeah. <laughs> so this is a listener script. This is from our friend Stephen from New Zealand. And this is the story of the Wahine disaster. Mm. So mm. this is the story of Cyclone Giselle and mm. the sinking of the TEV Wahine in, the well- in Wellington Harbor. So I've heard it pronounced Wahine, but I think it's probably Wahine. Okay. Anyway, I'm probably being overly... Anyway. Yeah, anybody who's Australian or uh, from New Zealand or from that continent, their ears just went, eh. Yeah. <laughs> it's neither of those, Rachel. <laughs> In New Zealand, Cyclone Giselle is better known as the Wahine Storm. While 51 people lost their lives in the water that day, over 30,000 New Zealanders have been helped because one person stood on Seatown Beach and decided that there must be a better way. This story is dedicated to the memory of Peter Button, OBE. In most documents, the Wahine is referred to as the TEV Wahine. TEV is the abrasion, the abrasion, <laughs> abrasion. <laughs> abbreviation yeah, for turboelectric vessel. Okay. All TEV, turboelectric yeah. vessel. Mm-hmm. All measurements, <coughs> excuse me, in this are imperial. New Zealand didn't begin changing to metric until 1969. I didn't know that. Hmm. 
I just assumed we were the idiots behind in the U.S. <laughs> this well, we still time. we we still are. Well, we are. We, we, yes, we, we, they never, changed in nineteen. We, we, they changed almost sixty years ago. We've never switched. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although, although I do, for some reason, remember that being a thing when I was like in third or fourth grade, were, and it got voted down or times. something like that. Mm-hmm. But I remember that there was potential that it could happen, and then it just didn't. They and have I, and tried I don't and so I don't think it's times. I don't think it's been brought up since to oh, be honest. I, it's a lost cause. <laughs> yeah. Let's just try for um c- going back to being a democracy first. I'll just, I'll tell you something though if you work in manufacturing like everything yep. is in the metric system anyway. Yep. So I Well, it makes sense cuz that's the sta- global standard <laughs> yes. except for us, so yeah. If you read up about the Wahine, you you hear the abbreviation TEV stands for turbo electric. Oh, we already said that. Uh yeah, TEV. The Wahine involved in this disaster should really have been called Wahine 3. The first Union steamship company ship with this name was built in 1875, but there appears to be no records on the original Wahine at all. At all. The second ship named Wahine was an inter-island ferry. She sailed the Littleton to Wellington run from 1913 until 1951. The second Wahine had a reputation of being a very, being very stable and was 375 feet long and 52 feet wide. I can't be the only person who converts things into football fields, right? No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. No. Because 375 it's a, it's a very, is roughly a football field, right? Uh, 300 feet is a football field. 100 yards. How much is it with the end zones? Uh, each end zone is 10 yards. So it's, a, you know, yeah, you're right. 360 feet from back of the end zone to back of the end zone. Where the uprights used to be, right? No, the uprights used to be at the front. Oh, that's right. They used they're, to be at the their, touchdown they're, line. At, they're at the back now. People <laughs> For kept good people kept running into them. They're like they're like, why don't we just back this up <laughs> to like where the odds of somebody hitting it is minimized? Yeah. I mean, people still do, but yeah, it, not nearly as often as they used to. I can't believe that. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> Imagine trying to throw around it. Yeah, right. Like, like I would have had them, but the the fucking goalpost was in the way. That happened so many times. <laughs> well, when did they move it? I want to say like the early 1970s. Okay, so it was well after the forward pass was. Assigned. Oh yeah, okay. oh yeah. I want to say like the first couple Super Bowl, Super Bowls, Super Bowls. I want to say the first couple of Super Bowls were still played with the with the uh, uprights with the, the uprights in the, the front TV. of the end zone. <laughs> so weird. Uh, so the second Wahine weighed 4,436 GRT. Uh, something tons? I don't know what GRT is. Anyway, and had three coal-powered steam turbines. After three decades on the Littleton to Wellington run, and after serving in two world wars, she ran aground at Masella Island in the Arafura Sea. Well, there we go. I didn't even know there was an Arafura Sea. She had been chartered by the New Zealand government to carry troops to the Korean War. Everybody on board was safely evacuated, but the ship was a total wreck. In 1968, if you wanted to travel between the North and South Islands of New Zealand, you had you could take a ferry, or if you were rich, you could fly. If you decided to take the ferry, you had two options. A service ran between Wellington and Picton, or you could take the overnight ferry between Wellington and Littleton and just drive the last eight miles to Christchurch, the biggest city in the South Island. During the 50s and 60s, new cars in New Zealand were very expensive. Most of the cars were English designs and were low-powered four-seaters. Anyone who has driven a British car from that period can tell you how unreliable and underpowered these cars were. I didn't know that. 
either. Did what, did did American cars have the same reputation? I don't think so. Think so much, right? Certain cars did, but at the same time, like our infrastructure was built around a car. That's true. So we were which is investing not, a lot more, in. which is not the case in Europe. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they, you know. So I think because that, I mean, I mean, performance was kind of always a thing over here. That's true. So yeah, we've by always... then by the fifties and sixties we, we were racing cars. Yeah, we've always been insecure about our penises over here. <laughs> Apparently, yes. it's all about performance in the cars. Yes. Just look how tall the the capital or the uh, <laughs> what am I trying <laughs> the to Washington say? Washington Monument. Yes, that thing. <laughs> or the number of erectile dysfunction medication commercials come up on uh, any sporting event. Yes, most mostly a football game though. Yes. Yesterday, when you guys were watching football, an ad came on. I don't think anyone was paying attention, but the tagline was literally something as obscene as like we'll get you harder your money back like something ridiculous <laughs> something ridiculous hey if they got the couple not... million to splash down for a 30 second ad yes I, <laughs> I guess um there were a few australian imported holdens fords and valiants but they were very expensive and only slightly more reliable in 2017, the average age for a car in New Zealand was 14.4 years old. Wow. In the U.S., I think it's around 12 it's years 12. old. It's 12. Yeah. Back in the 1960s, the average age would have been far higher. Driving <coughs> excuse me, driving from Picton to Christchurch along the Kaikoura coast is still a bit of a mission today. For miles and miles, there are no towns or gas stations to stop at. It sounds like West Virginia. <laughs> no, there are plenty of those. You just don't want to stop there. Well, no, not if you're up in the mountains. If you're up in the mountains, you're on your own for a while. That is true. There, there, there are parts. There are uh, stops, but... there are parts of uh, uh, Interstate 81 in Pennsylvania that are like that too. It's mm. like, man, if you break down here, like you're kind of fucked. You're on your own. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. it's gonna take a while before somebody gets to you. Mm. Um, driving this road in a 10 horsepower car with a top speed oh my of 50 God. miles That's per hour. That's literally like riding a lawnmower, yeah. like a push lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> what's, a, what's like a fine horsepower for a car? Oh, like 200. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jeez. Mm, yeah. Like 165 to 200 is like kind of standard, standard for a... So 10 is like a bicycle. <laughs> oh, well, like I said, it's like a, literally like a lawnmower, a push mower. Well... Isn't it technically, isn't horsepower meant to, like, be what actually that number of horses could pull? That's kind of the, that used to be, that that was, like, the initial, to my understanding, Mm -hmm. that was the initial way they kind of weighed and advertised the speed of a car, or the power of a car. And now it's become more standardized, maybe to its own thing. Yeah, I mean, 655 horses, which Mm -hmm. there are in some cars, I'm gonna guess could go way faster than that actual car, so I don't think it's necessarily that. Yeah. It's just kind of a... Tradition. Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah, if you see a car that basically, if you see a car that's like 250 plus horsepower, that's that, a performance vehicle. Thing, that thing could fucking haul ass. Gotcha. Yeah. The cheapest and easiest option was to catch the ferry from Wellington to Picton and take the train from Picton to Christchurch. Of course, once you got to Christchurch, you still had no car, so traveling to any other towns in the South Island became a problem. The Union Steamship Company ran an overnight ferry service between Wellington and Littleton using the Maori and the Wahine. The Maori was uh, launched in 1952. She was 425 feet by 63 feet and was 8,303 
GRT, some version of a ton I'm imagining. In 1965, the Maori was converted into a roll-on, roll-off ferry. In 1966, the Wahine replaced the 20-year-old Hinamoa. The Wahine was 8,948 GRT, 448 feet long and 71 feet wide. With a crew of 126, she could carry 927 passengers and over 200 cars. Tourism was not a big thing in New Zealand, and the Union Steamship Company concentrated on freight rather than passengers. That's funny. I feel like that has changed massively. But I wonder I wonder if it really was Lord of the Rings that kind of set that off. Or I don't know enough about New Zealand's tourism industry to know if that was just like I'm a resurgence sh- or anything. I'm sure it didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, we know it didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. No, some people literally take... Mm-hmm. Well, when we did the um, Thakari eruption some people remember they that's could, right they, they were coming pick, from like a hobbit home no, they tour could or something pick wasn't from that it the, the, they could do the volcano they could do something else or could they could do the hobbit that's hobbit what it was tour. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so the people who were total nerds and did the hobbit town tour actually made fine. out a lot better yeah <laughs> it's safer to be a nerd yes apparently well yes For the most in part. general that's true yes. especially when you get out of high school yes. it's safer to be a nerd <laughs> that's it yeah you will find your people and mm-hmm. you'll be fine um <clears throat> these ships were workhorse passenger were, were workhorses um and passenger comfort and service was secondary most people got a cabin and were woken up in the morning with a knock on the door. You were given a hot cup of milky tea. If you didn't take sugar in your tea, you didn't stir it. <laughs> That's funny. Just let it all settle at the bottom. That's still, you know, it's funny that it's like, well, you know, passenger comfort and service was secondary. This still sounds like better than you'd get on like, oh, a flight. Oh, <laughs> today? Hell yeah. Yeah. The names for the two ships were chosen because the Wahine was supposed to represent the wife and the Maori represented the husband. Hmm. Okay. The Maori legend of how New Zealand came to be helps you get, oh, this is interesting, helps you get a feel, not the rest of it wasn't, but about the geography of the country. The story is that Maori and his four brothers, uh, Maui and his four brothers went fishing. Maori made a magical fish hook from his ancestor's jawbone. Using his magical fish hook oh you know what i bet it is maori it just auto corrects to maui oh, okay. uh, maori caught a huge fish after bringing the fish to the surface maori told his brothers to wait until he had appeased the god of the sea his brothers got tired of waiting and began to carve out pieces for themselves oh these are now the many valleys mountains and lakes of the north island the south island is said to be maori's canoe and stewart island is the canoe's stone anchor if you look at a map of New Zealand, you can see that the North Island looks a lot like a stingray with the mouth being Wellington Harbor. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Cyclone Giselle hit Cape Regina. Uh, oh, sorry. Cape Rainia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I forget. I looked so much into the um, Maori pronunciation when we did Fakati, but mm-hmm. now I'm forgetting some of it. Uh, I, I think people will forget you. <laughs> Hopefully. The northern tip of the North Island on Tuesday, the 9th of April, 1968. The storm had been building near the Solomon Islands and hit. it worked its way south after hitting French Numia. By the time it hit New Zealand, it was producing winds of up to 100 miles an hour, and its first victim was a farmer near Kaitea who was killed after being blown off a haystack. It's okay. an interesting place to be during a storm. Yeah. But. 
It headed down the North Island, slowly blowing roofs off houses and causing massive flooding and landslides. So just a a quick refresher, a cyclone in the Pacific is the equivalent of a hurricane. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. a tropical cyclone. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure they only call them cyclones, right? In the Pacific. They don't call them hurricanes in the Pacific, which is interesting. Let's just move on. (laughs) You're like, just in case you're wrong, which is possible. The New Zealand Meteorological Service issued a warning, uh, or weather warning, for the Cook Street while the Wahine was loading the last few cars before leaving Littleton. The warning stated that the Cook Strait was going to experience strong southerly winds, rain, and poor visibility. It does not sound good for a ferry. Fifteen minutes later, on Tuesday evening, the Wahine left Littleton at 8.40 on its nightly run to Wellington, carrying 734 passengers and crew. The strong weather warning said strong winds are increasing to gale force in the Cook Strait. She was 45 minutes late leaving. That's not good. If bad weather is on its way in, you don't want to be running late. The train from Invercargill had been 10 minutes late and there had been a power glitch in the loading ramp that had cost more time. This wasn't too worrying. She was fast enough to make up for lost time. <coughs> weather conditions were nothing unusual as the Wahini left port, just about or just a 15 knot breeze and an overcast sky. Some braved the open deck on the trip out of the harbor. A few people had decided to take the crossing early as they had heard that the weather was expected to get worse later in the week. There were 41 children under 14 years old aboard and not much to keep them occupied. Mm. Ah, After just having come (laughs) from being somewhere with three children under 14 with iPhones and like toys and the great outdoors to entertain them, I can imagine that those kids were getting pretty obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was but, a, but, they, but they didn't know any better anyway, so. Back then, yeah. No. They wouldn't have been able to ask for their mom's phone to no. watch YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you imagine if we had had that shit? It would have been you know, so children? nice. No. Oh. I, <laughs> no, well, you, you ended up, so I was going nice. to say you ended off before I. No, yeah. uh phones like if we got bored hey mom let me use your phone let me watch youtube on your phone yeah i guess it would have been but overall i mean i, I i'm not I, think, sure I wouldn't i think we were better off growing up without the internet i agree <laughs> well i mean i had the internet starting at like 10 or 11 oh, okay i grew um, up without it yes i i i do th- like that i had it for my teenage years but not for my baby years yeah you know, so Uh, There was a bar and a cafeteria on the B-deck of the Wahine. The food was pretty unappealing and quite expensive. That sounds like any transport meal. (laughs) Any mode of transportation, the food they offer. (laughs) On A-deck... Five star. Yeah, right. (laughs) On A-deck in the general lounge, there was a TV, but in 1968, there was just one TV station. I was going to say. I was going to say three. (laughs) Right. But then again, this is New New Zealand. Zealand So maybe there was just one. And about an hour a day was set aside for programs suitable for children. Most passengers would have just had an early night going to their cabin hoping to sleep to help pass the time. I'm like, okay, kids, it's just time for bed. The wind picked up slightly as the Wahine headed north up the coast, but the trip was smooth enough for most people not to feel queasy. There was a strong wind warning issued for Wellington, but April is the middle of autumn in New Zealand, and Wellingtonians... I like that word. 
uh, wouldn't have given a strong wind warning a second thought. It's not known as the Windy City for nothing. Oh, that's interesting. Oh. I didn't know that. Wellington, the Windy City. Mm-hmm. The Windy City of Wellington. <laughs> yes, Chicago's known as the Windy City here. Although I still contend that Boston is is a should also have sure the Windy City. Ugh, yeah. There are some vortices. Vortices. I, I can there. attest that uh, the the wind in Buffalo is. Mm. Uh, Anything makes, off an ocean makes or it, a Great Lake, makes right? It fucking really cold. Yeah. Like colder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> strong northwest winds are almost ignored by the locals. It's the strong southerlies blowing up from the Arctic they take notice of. Okay, yeah, that's fair. They actually have Arctic air yes, they coming do. up. Yeah. Something um, we don't have to deal with here. No, we are nowhere near the Arctic of any type. Most of the residential houses in Wellington are built on the hills as there is little flat land outside the central business district, and most of the central business district lies on reclaimed land. This allows for stunning views, but also exposes the residents to strong winds. In an average year, Wellington experiences winds over 35 knots on around 151 days. It's like a third of the year, more than a third of the year. Yeah, 40%, Mm -hmm. something like that. For the captain of the Wahine, Hector Robertson, strong winds and rough seas was just part of his job. The Wahine was state-of-the-art. Only 20 months old, she still had that new ship smell. Mm. Captain Hector Robinson... Okay, so it's Robertson in one place and Robinson in the other. Not 100% sure which it is. Anyway, he was 57 years old. He had been at sea for 41 years since he was 16. Most of those years had been with the Union Steamship Company. He had served on the original Wahine as a deck officer. This was not his first command. He had been in charge of the Cook Strait Ferry Aramoana for three years and had also captained the Maori and the Hinemoa. He lived in the Hutt Valley, so he knew how bad Wellington can be on a bad day. By midnight, the Wahine had traveled almost 30 miles, the wind had increased to 25 knots, and large waves began to form, with the ship pitching moderately, only a few passengers feeling seasick. Most were still sleeping easily. At 1.30, the Maori and the Wahine passed 10 minutes later. They were 12 miles off the Kaikoura Peninsula and had reached halfway on the journey to Wellington. At 3 a.m., the New Zealand Broadcasting Corporation's weather report located the center of Cyclone Giselle just off the east coast on the southern part of the Coromandel Peninsula. The ferry was expected to get to Wellington at 7 a.m., so just in like four hours. By 4 a.m., conditions for the Wahine had worsened. Wind had increased to 45 knots, visibility had decreased, and the swell had gotten worse. The ship was still handling as expected. Cyclone Giselle should have should still have been in the Bay of Plenty region when Captain Robinson was entering Wellington Harbor. The crew of the ferry expected Cyclone Giselle to be over 100 miles north of them by the time they were disembarking passengers. Mm. I guess that's not what mm, happened. Probably not. Wednesday morning, just before the Wahine reached the Cook Strait, Cyclone Giselle came at it, came in from the north and hit Wellington. She combined with a storm from the south, and it was almost like adding a supercharger. One of the gusts recorded at over 170 miles per hour. Jesus. The strongest ever recorded in New Zealand. Yeah, that is, that's bad. That You don't see those here, even in our Atlantic hurricanes, which get rough i mean they, seen, i was gonna say yeah that, but yeah but i mean that's that's, that's pretty wicked. rare 
170 mile an hour gust. Like I know. You, like, you can't even imagine. You would literally get lifted off the ground and thrown, probably. You would get thrown completely, yep. Well, if you were lucky and, like, in an open field. Otherwise, yeah. you'd get clonked out with something yeah. hitting you. That, too. Yeah. Wellington City was in trouble. In one hillside suburb, 98 houses lost their roofs. A young girl was killed and her sister was injured when a piece of roofing iron crashed through the bedroom window. Yikes. Jesus. Three ambulances and a truck were tipped on their sides when they tried to bring out injured people. One ambulance had to be abandoned at um, Houghton Bay. It could be Houghton. It could be Houghton. could be Houghton. Houghton. (laughs) The English language has many options. When it was recovered later, one side of it had been sandblasted down to bare metal. An ambulance had been sandblasted down to bare metal. All the paint Jesus stripped. Christ. By wind or yeah. by a hurricane. As you enter Wellington Harbor, on the left you pass Breaker Bay. Just off Breaker Bay lies Barrett's Reef. Pencaro Head is off to your right in the east. After the suburb of Eastburn, there is just a track along the water. On a nice day, you can walk along the Pencaro Coastal Trail and come across the remains of the wreckage of the SS Paika. While Pencaro is lovely on a good day, it is far too rough for anything other than sheep and little blue penguins to live there. I didn't know blue penguins penguins lived in New Zealand. That's awesome. I know. See now, don't you want to go to New Zealand? Well, not. I mean, I'll I'll just look one up on YouTube. (laughs) Like that'll. But but I I didn't know they existed. Uh, I I. You know I really want to go to New Zealand. Yes. The main shipping channel between Barrett's Reef and Pencaro is slightly less than a mile mile wide, and the water is just 60 feet deep. (coughs) As the ferry cleared the Pencaro lighthouse, the radar started to fail. Uh Uh-oh. The visibility... I said uh uh-oh, not (laughs) Stephen, just for the record. The visibility dropped as the wind and rain rain battered the ship. Captain Robertson... I am apologize. I'm am just reading what it says. Sorry, just, Stephen. He's either Robinson or Robertson, yeah. but uh Captain Robertson ordered the speed reduced. Large waves were now pounding the ship. By the time the ship reached Breaker Bay, the radar was of no use at all. Captain Robinson was battling huge waves, strong winds, and a broken radar and were in a narrow channel with dangerous rocks on either side. Mm-hmm. Just at the worst possible moment, the Wahine was struck by a huge wave. The captain was knocked off his feet as the Wahine spun sideways. The ship was no longer answering the helm and was being tossed around like a cork. They were sailing almost blind with no idea exactly where they were. Captain Robinson ordered full speed ahead. While this sounds counterintuitive, <clears throat> excuse me, it makes the ship more maneuverable. That sure. makes sense. Yes. You gotta just forge ahead and, mm-hmm. and try and regain control. Because I mean, you're not going to go straight ahead anyway, because you're battling wind and waves. So you just need the you just need the you power. You need some momentum. You, yes. might, you need some power on your side. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Captain Robinson was navigating from the occasional glimpses he got peering out into the storm, but he was fighting a losing battle. They were heading directly for the reef at eighteen and a half miles per hour. A giant ship. Jeez. It's pretty fast. Waves as high as 40 feet were pounding the ship. That's four stories. Mm-hmm. Winds were estimated at over 100 miles per hour. Unfucking believable. That's horrifying. 
A local resident of Breaker Bay looked out his window on that day and saw the Wahine heading directly toward his house. Someone else in Breaker Bay recalls seeing the Wahine pointing back out to sea. Later on, the sa- later on, the same people saw her moving sideways towards the beach. Yeah, everybody saw it because this thing is it just struggling. It probably did all those things. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm going to guess they lost power here and there too, probably. Oh, God, who knows? Residents uh, began calling 111, which is New Zealand's emergency number, to report that the ferry was in trouble. That's interesting. In the UK, it's 999. It's 111, and we're 911. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's 199. <laughs> Probably. Conditions for the passengers were so... Oh, God. I can't even imagine oh, being gee, in I've a cabin. Oh, I've been fucking scared shitless. Oh, so yeah. bad that when the Wahine finally hit Barrett's Reef, some of them couldn't tell the difference between the waves hitting the ship and the ship hitting the rocks and had sure. no idea how bad things were. Most passengers were... In no doubt, things were bad. The cafeteria was a shambles. Crockery was breaking, and the stewards were looking worried. That's that's always when you worry is when, when the, the staff, staff lo- is looking worried because they've seen everything. Mm-hmm. And if they're worried, it's a it's time for you to be worried. Yes. Um, by seven a.m., the police were at the bay, but could only monitor the situation and report back. That's right; they don't really have communication. Well, do they? No, they lost their radar. That's what they lost. Captain Robertson said he was under the impression that the ship had been picked up by the waves and thrown on the reef. Jesus wow. Christ. Things were so chaotic that to this day, no one knows if the Wahine reversed into the rocks or it was driven backwards by the waves. Or both. Yeah. Fucking, yeah. Or, yeah. The captain did order full astern just before the collision, but things happened so fast and the accounts of the people on the bridge are conflicting. The starboard propeller snapped off. The Greywack rocks tore a huge hole in the hull before long the engines failed. The Wahine called the pilot station on the radio. Okay, they did have communication. Letting them know they were in trouble. Wellington Radio received the that's okay. <laughs> received the captain's distress call while the ship was still grinding on the rocks. On the bridge, the system to drop the watertight doors was activated. Well, it's not going to help with a giant hole in the ship, but still. Well, no, no, no. They can... Remember, I forget what episode we were talking about where there was, like, a whole system of mm-hmm. multiple doors. So you actually could, like, isolate the yes. area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without without the ship sinking. Right. Or theoretically you could. It didn't work in that case, I think. But... Um... <clears throat> Both the anchors were dropped in an attempt to help, and Captain Robertson sounded the ship's alarm. Dropping the anchor was was not as simple as just pressing a button. Two crew members had to crawl on their hands and knees on the pitching deck in the wind and rain to manually release the anchor. Can you imagine being assigned that or ordered that? That's how that goes. Mm -hmm. Jeez. The ferry was now drifting without any means of propulsion. Flooding began in four compartments, and water on the vehicle te- deck was making the ship less stable. Before long, the decks were full of worried-looking passengers wearing bulky life jackets. Binding jackets for children was not an option. There are only two kinds of life jackets. Red ones were made for people over 70 pounds. Uh, white life jackets indicated that they were for people who weighed less, but children had to make do with what was available. No provision at all was made for toddlers, so really little mm. kids. To make matters worse, all the white jackets were kept in one place and few, if any, were distributed. Oh, God. 
All the jackets stored in the cabins were red. White life jackets were stored separately in a single locker and were not issued straight away. Three-year-old Alma Hicks' life jacket came down to her knees. Mm. I imagine the problem, so I don't know the intricacies of weight jack, or of life jackets, but I imagine the issue would be if it's too big, you could kind of float out of it. Yeah. Or oh, yeah. become separated. Like, it's, yeah, it's so too big. The point of a life jacket is to have it strapped onto really you. Really tight, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not really tight, but tight enough so it won't come off. Snug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The tugboat Tapui and the pilot boat Tyke, Tiakina left Queen's Wharf heading out into 90 knot winds sweeping the more sheltered inner harbor to get to Fort Dorset in the suburb of Seatone. After leaving the, leaving the relative shelter of the harbor after passing Point Housewell, they had to battle... I swear, some days I just can't speak. It's okay. They had to battle rough seas, not buttle them, battle rough seas, and at times visibility was reduced to zero. Imagine no, so I, I can't imagine any of this. So, the like, you know, when you're driving in terrible rain mm-hmm. and there are hot seconds where you feel like you're basically just not seeing anything, yeah, and how just, terrifying that yeah, is, you're just kind of reacting. Yes, yeah, now imagine that on a giant boat that's getting tossed around and everybody's trying no, to get thanks. light jackets. Jeez, I'm not gonna see a 40 foot wave <laughs> on the interstate, <laughs> not generally. <laughs> Not generally. Give climate change a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all we are saying is give, <laughs> give climate, climate change, change a chance. chance. Oh, God. Yeah. That's, what, that's what the coal plants are saying. Uh, that's what the capitalists are saying. Yeah. The tugboat Tapui and the pilot boat... Oh, wait. I already said that. The tugboat Tapui shipped, wa- shipped water into her engine room, just getting to the harbor entrance. She was built in 1945 and was originally called the Empire Shirley. The Union Steamship Company bought her in 1947 and changed her name. Tapui translates as nurse. Huh. She was an Empire-class tug built for work in the harbor and was not suited to work in the rough conditions of the Cook Strait or in open water. Uh-oh. She was equipped to tow the Wahine to safety but was unable to reach the stricken ship and was not really powerful enough to do the job. The Tapui wasn't even equipped with radar and had to rely on the Tiakina for guidance. The 80-foot Tiakina had been built with Wellington's conditions in mind. She was equipped with rocket firing line guns and life-saving gear, but the seas around Breaker Bay and Barrett's Reef were too severe for either both boat to survive. God. Conditions were so bad that they had to shelter helplessly leeward of Fort Dorset. So basically the two rescue ships are like, um, now we're having to take shelter because this is not going to work. Breaker Bay is not a place to take lightly. In 1986, the police launch Lady Elizabeth II capsized there during a rough seas training exercise with four officers on board. So they literally were specifically training for bad weather, and it was too and much. And even the training was, yeah. Mm. That's like um, a, a military mission being a training mission for Navy SEALs being so bad that they can't complete it. It's like if if they can't do it, nobody can. Yeah, yeah. it's like like if you guys didn't get the practice run, like it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen, happen in real life. It's not humanly possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, only the quick work of Peter Button and his rescue helicopter kept the death toll down to two. Wow. If the Tapui and the Tiakina had tried to get to the Wahine, they may well have ended up adding to the disaster. Yeah. 
Captain Robinson would have been well aware that abandoning ship in Breaker Bay would have been suicidal. With rock-covered shores on both side of his, sides of his ships, of, oh, sorry, with rock-covered shores on both sides of his ship, launching lifeboats and getting them ashore would have been almost impossible. The Wahina, yeah, you know what? Just like uh, being a pilot or being a captain of a ship, no thank you. No. Just yeah, I'm going to pass. Because you're in charge when this shit goes sideways. Mm-hmm. Well, you're in charge even for it to go smoothly. Yes. Which is a challenge in itself. Yes, it is. The Wahine started dragging its anchors and had drifted up the harbor past Fort, Fort Dorset, just missing Steeple Beacon by what seemed like inches. By 11 a.m. Oh, wow. They were supposed to... Weren't they supposed to dock at like 7, seven or something? Yeah. yeah. By 11 a.m., the conditions had improved slightly, and the Wahine had drifted past Breaker Bay. The Tapanui set up and tried, set up to try and tow the ferry to safety. It took 50 minutes for the tug to secure a line. The storm had peaked at about 9 a.m. Uh, the Wahine had lost the ability to pull in her anchors. Mm. Two crew members braved the conditions to try and sort out the anchors, but it was just not possible. The tow line quickly snapped. All other attempts to get another line to the Wahine failed. Shortly after 12 a.m., maybe 12 p.m. is my guess, but uh, Captain Galloway, the deputy harbor master, climbed up from the Tiakina to the Wahine. Normally, the water of Seatown, Seatown, eh, you know what? It could be Seatown Beach, one or the other, is sheltered by Fort Dorset, but the Wahine ended up slightly west of the main shipping channel. The wind and sea pushed the pushed survivors away from the beach and safety, but towards the far more rocky and accessible Pencaro and and accessible, I think, Pencaro coast. A decision was made to keep the passengers on board as long as possible in the hope that the weather would improve and the ship could be kept upright. The Wahine's lifeboats and her 35 life rafts were prepared as the ferry was tossed by the storm. A police car had been sent to the opposite side of the harbor just in case, but trees and rocks washed up onto the road meant it got no further than York Bay. Later on, the officers were able to make their way to Eastburn, where they were picked up by an army truck. Mm. (laughs) So the rescuers are all needing rescuing. Mm -hmm. By now, National Radio was keeping New Zealanders posted on the drama that was happening yards off of one of the capital city's most exclusive suburbs. Most people in Wellington were trapped in their houses by the storm. At first, Kiwis were told that the Wahine had hit Barrett's Reef and lost power, but all the passengers were safe, and that was how the story remained right up until the Wahine started to abandon ship. At 12.45, the Wahine started to list, which is Mm, never good. Yeah. High tide had started to run out of the harbor. The wind had dropped and gusts were averaging between 45 and 60 knots. At 1 p.m., the abandoned ship order was given. Passengers were told to make their way to the starboard lower side of the ship. So if I remember right, starboard is right side as you are facing the bow. Mm -hmm. The life rafts proved to be a problem. Some of them just blew away. Yeah, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. This left four lifeboats, one of them a smaller motorboat. The other three were made from fiberglass and designed to hold 99 people. Uh, The current sea conditions meant that in reality, they couldn't be loaded anywhere near that capacity. 
Yeah, because if they're if they're faring so badly on the water right now in this giant in, it, ship, yeah, imagine, I mean, no, you don't yeah, want to. This isn't going to go well. You don't want to go out in that stuff. No, but you have to because your ship that you're on is going mm-hmm. to sink. Mm-hmm. It is literally tipping over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, geez, yeah, no, this is awful. These lifeboats were huge, weighing over three tons. Rather, oh, okay. Yeah, right. so this is. But still, that's yeah. a lot less than what the actual ship yeah. weighs, and it's not faring well, so you wouldn't think it'd, it'd go so great. Rather than using oars, these boats had a propeller at the back and were powered by a big crank. The portside lifeboats couldn't be used due to the list of the ship. Okay, so it was they were underwater, probably. The life rafts could hold up to 25 passengers. They were supposed to be launched using the lifeboat Davids. Davids? I don't know what that word is. But the crew found it easier and more effective to just throw them over the side. We had that one. There was that one. um, I feel like it was in the Mediterranean. That one ship disaster where they were listing. Like they they had fallen on their side and all the lifeboats on the side that was up. They had to like drop them down into the water or something. Is that ringing a bell? I don't remember. It sounds familiar to me, but I could be completely (laughs) wrong. That was one of our 200 plus episodes. Oh my episodes. god, this is 227, so yeah. Um, the crew of the Wahini had little experience with launching the life rafts due to the fact that they needed to be repacked correctly after use. Some blew away, oh god, some landed upside down and some failed to inflate fully. Even the malfunctioning life rafts helped keep people alive. The rafts had no way to propel them and one life raft folded in two suffocating two-and-a-half-year-old Philip Hicks. Oh, mm. my God. So a poor, like, toddler died from being suffocated by well, a life raft. we already... The fate of the children is kind of already known. It's being set up as not going very well. I mean, yeah. it's not going to go well for the adults. How well do you think it's going to go for... That's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Another child was caught under a raft after it flipped over with them in it. Even so, many passengers were saved by them. Quite a few people jumped straight into the water hoping to be picked up. The average surface water temperature in Wellington during April is usually within one degree of 60 degrees Fahrenheit. That's cold. That's not as bad as what I was thinking. You, you can, you well, can manage so, that. So I guess my only, <laughs> my only um, correlation or frame of reference is that when I go swimming at the aquatic center... The program pool, or the uh, either pool that I go into, is around 80 degrees, and it feels a little whoo at first. <laughs> so, no, 20 six, degrees less 60 than degrees that. water will take your fucking breath away. Yeah, I would think but so. But, it's, like, I was thinking the water would be, like, 30, 30 degrees. degrees. Mm, mm. That would be, like, freezing, though. That'd be below freezing. Yeah. But, I, but, I mean... <clears throat> when the when the Titanic, we'll never cover the Titanic, so just to bring it we up. We will, eventually. 500 episodes from now. Yeah. <laughs> but when the Titanic sank, they were, like, in the Arctic yes. part of the North Atlantic. Yes. Where okay. the water temperature was, like, fucking, like, 15 degrees. Right. They were going to die. They were going to die uh, fucking. Immediately, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So, 60 degrees, like, you can, you can manage that. Like, it's not going to be fun, but it's not going to kill you. Right. One of my favorite um, uh, 
memes or things or whatever from the Titanic movie is that Rose is like, I'll never let go, Jack. And then she lets go. She did. <laughs> well, he was dead. He was dead. And he was literally he was literally dead weight. Yes. <laughs> she had to let him go. Plus, he was Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, you have to fucking just let that <laughs> let dead go. weight go. Hollywood dead weight. <laughs> Failing upward talentless <laughs> hack. Uh, no, I would, he's not I would, talentless. I was going to say I would not go that far. Douche. Uh, probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't he the one with the so-called pussy posse? Yeah, that was him and Toby Maguire. Yeah, he can fuck off. And Toby, Toby fucking Maguire. <laughs> yeah, they were. They still are best friends. They're like. Oh, they're God, like buddies. That figures. Him and the the guy from uh, Entourage, uh, Kevin. Um, oh yeah. Uh, he. The guy who plays uh, what's his like what D or what would they call him? What was his character's e. name? E. Yes. Yeah, Kevin Connolly. Yeah. Kevin Connolly is like legit. Mm-hmm. Like part of the reason he was cast in that is because like he literally wasn't an entourage. Like so he was basically like doing a TV show about his life. Three pasty sleazy white boys <laughs> cra- trolling the town. <laughs> God. Hey, at least they all worked. I mean that that was one thing. It's a low bar. <laughs> it is, but they but they but they cleared that one. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they they tripped over that bar. <laughs> no, Kevin Connolly's on. He's gone on to be like a producer, producer director, and like yeah, uh, screenwriter, things like oh, that. Oh, great! I'm sure the world is a better place because all I'm saying, Kevin Connolly is. A I'm producer. not. I'm, I'm sure it's. <laughs> he actually did the one ESPN documentary on the Islanders. Oh, that's uh, right. Watch that one. Owner that faked his way into ownership. Yes. Uh-huh. Really good one if you want to watch a crime mm-hmm, story. Mm-hmm. But that was pretty good. And he's, I mean, he's done other things that I haven't seen, but I'm like, well, whatever. It's, if it's good, it's bad. At least he's doing it. I, have, I still have much disdain for anyone who's a member. <laughs> of the Pussy Posse. Yes. <laughs> they can go, they can go fuck themselves. So the evacuation... <laughs> There's no way out of that. The evacuation, the evacuation of the Pussy Posse. We wish they had drowned. Took people on shore by surprise. Due to how close the ship was to, I really wish I knew how to pronounce this, Seatone, was that, what, or sorry, due to how close the ship was to Seatone, this was where the passengers were expected to come on shore. Sure. At this stage, just the tug and the pilot boat were on like, the scene. Just like, how the fuck are they going to get there? I mean, that's a whole... Goodness, I have no idea. Without any... Ugh. Yeah. Two different numbers are given on how many people the Tapui rescued. Some say 170, others say 174. Finally, the people okay. on the Wahini had some luck. No, that's, that's a number. A, that's a small, it's a number. but it's a small, like, fracturing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's It's, it's um, not, some reports are 170 and some reports were 122. Right. No, it's not a big discrepancy, Mm-mm. but still, yeah. Just as the evacuation started to take place, the wind changed from south to north and dropped significantly in strength. The Taikina took lifeboat number S4 in tow. This boat had met up with a partly deflated and upside-down life raft, and while they were trying to transfer the passengers from the raft to the boat, ropes from the raft became tangled in the lifeboat's propeller. It was not until the pilot boat arrived that they were able to transfer all passengers off the raft and onto the lifeboat. Okay, that could have ended so much worse. I was expecting, like... Yeah, got, I was. Like, I, into the I was expecting, like, some Final Destination kind of shit. I like, know, when you right? Were... Like, oh, that could have gone so badly. Yeah. The Taikina then towed the boat to Seatone Wharf. 
The rescue crew at Wellington Airport had used the area around Barrett's Reef for training in the past. It did not take them long to get to Seatone Beach. Well, that's good. That's handy. So they knew the area. Yeah. Yeah. They had three inflatable... <laughs> hey, that's what you train for. Yeah. They had th- yes, literally. They had three inflatable Zodiacs as well as life rafts. The Zodiacs were 14 and a half feet long and were powered by a 40 horsepower petrol outboard motor. Winds were still so strong that they needed one of their team to spread Eagle himself across the bow to stop the craft from flipping in the surf and the wind. Imagine being that friend who gets to do that. (laughs) You just get to, like, splay yourself over the bow. That must have been so fun. Two of the Zodiacs were unable to be used as their outboard engines were flooded, but the third got away successfully. On their first trip, they managed to rescue seven people. The 17-foot cabin cruiser Maru arrived on the scene and two of the airport fire crew, Alan Williams and Malcolm Yates, joined local Miramar Fire Brigade officer Pete Webster, Peter Webster to lend a hand. By this time, the people in the water and the rafts were being driven by the sea currents towards the Pencaro coast, so this is where the Maru headed. The conditions were too severe to pull people directly onto the cruiser, so they decided to throw the inflatable life raft on board over the side. Alan dived overboard and tethered himself to the raft's lifeline. He managed to save six lives this way before heading back to shore. That's pretty awesome. That's, That's, yeah. That's amazing. As if that was not enough, he swam out three times from the shore to rescue people. On the last trip, he was smashed against the rocks and spent several days in the hospital recovering from hypothermia and back injuries. Okay, at least he lived, but that's terrible. Like, for your but, troubles. I mean, yeah, but he still, like, did what he had to do. I mean, he did. That That's pretty amazing, yeah. The Union Steamship Ferry, the Aramoana, went out to help. This is so many. How many ships of this has this been by now? This is a well, bunch Well, you, you've of also got to figure, too, it's, uh, you know, you're talking about a, a pretty powerful storm so those ships are going to be going out anyway yes just well, to, just uh and there's seven over 700 people on yeah the ship, so yeah that's a lot of people to rescue so the, yeah they they know in advance like once this is done we're gonna have to go out for somebody yeah yeah you know yeah it was too high to be used as a rescue ve- vessel directly, but two of its lifeboats were put to use. The Aramoana's second engineer helped rescue six people from the Wahine. Both of the Aramoana's lifeboats ended up smashed on the rocks mm. on the Pencara side of the harbor. The Port Nicholson Yacht Club was contacted and many small powerboats headed out to help. It soon became obvious that there were a large number of survivors that were drifting to the uninhabited eastern side of the harbor. The wind started to drop, helping the small boats in the rough conditions. Unbelievably, not all boats in the rescue attempt were powered by engines. Miss Europa from the Worser Bay Surf Surf Life Saving Club set out to lend a hand. Five of the club's lifeguards rode out in one of New Zealand's greatest storms to help. Damn, they took a rowboat out there. A local resident, Pat McIntyre... We'll have to tell the, the story of the one and only time we took a rowboat out. One oh, my God. <laughs> was it a rowboat or was it a canoe? No, no it, was a, it was a rowboat. Yeah. <laughs> Suffice it to say we could have could not have rescued anyone. What? How early was that in our relationship? Uh, like a month or two in. It was very early, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll tell that story some other okay. time. Yeah. All right. That's fine. 
for, the, for those that are curious. Remind us to tell you the story of the the rowboat. <laughs> we learned a lot about each other that day. Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. A local resident, Pat McIntyre, joined the crew to help man an oar. He had experience rowing a dinghy, but none on a surf boat. I'm not even sure what a surf boat is entirely. Uh, I'm not positive, so yeah. let's oh, okay. we'll continue on. <laughs> the lifeguard. I, I will not give conjecture. Okay. The lifeguard standing at the back, manning the sweep, steering the boat, hadn't even bothered to change out of the suit and tie he had intended to wear to work that day. That's hilarious. So there's this this guy um steering the boat in yeah, a full suit and tie suit. Yeah, That's he's awesome. got yeah, he's he's got wingtips on. He's just like <laughs> it is sixties like, after all. Yeah, they managed to uh, they managed to pull Wahini's chief officer Charles Luley and another crew member from the water. By now, the scratch team manning the surf boat were getting tired. Yeah, they managed to pick up two more people clean, clinging to an empty lifeboat before heading to Seatone Beach. There were buses and ambulances waiting to take the injured to the hospital and the others to the Wellington train station to be taking taking care of and processed. That's true, because they have to like account mm-hmm. for who. Okay, let's see the manifest and then exactly. let's see who's um, who we've got yeah. here. Murray Haxton, a member of the Maranui Surf Life Saving Club. There's a lot of surf life saving clubs. Joined Worcester Bay Life Club's chief instructor, Ken Mitchell. Uh, at, they had arrived at Worcester Bay too late to join Miss Europa, so they paddled out using two of Worcester Bay's 18-foot surf skis. See, I mean, surf ski. uh, again, not to give okay, congestion, gotcha. but, but like I think of Australian and New Zealand, New Zealanders mm-hmm. as like people of the sea. Yes, because, I agree. Because, it's, because it's, it's literally an island continent. Yes. So. You're comfortable with water. Well, yeah. you know it. You know it. Yeah, that's true. You you know yeah. your place and yeah. your area and how to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, North America, I mean, if you want to be a person of the sea, you have, you have, to, you have to live on the coast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but here, the whole, it's, you have a 360 degree coast. Like you're, you're very close to coast no matter what. Yeah, yes. very true. Mm-hmm. By the time they had reached the Wahine, the people still in the water were drifting across to the eastburn side of the harbor. harbor. There was no way the surf skis would be any of, of any use in the open water, so reluctantly they headed back. The Rawanui set off from Port Nicholson Yacht Club and found a raft containing five young people. Two women and two men were hanging off the side of the raft, unable to get in. After picking up the survivors from the row, they continued searching for people in the water on their way to Seatone Wharf. The people who ended up on the Pencaro side of the harbor were not so lucky. Because the road to Eastbourne was blocked, only eight police officers were at Eastbourne, and as the paved road ends there, they were still a long way away from where people in trouble would end up. At the southern end of Eastbourne is Burden's Gate. After that, there is just a gravel road that heads out to Pencaro, but even today it is only suitable for four-wheel drives. Mm. Mm. Sorry. Foot falling asleep. There you go. All right. There nice, were n- nice adjustment. Thank you. <laughs> There's no good way to do that. There were no vehicles available to handle the track. Uh, the big Army Bedford trucks were not suitable. A local man turned up with a flatbed Land Rover, and it was soon put to use carrying people back to Burdensgate. Mm-hmm. Got to use what you got. 
Uh, well, I love that I it's just like some there. random dude showed up with, with, a his, with his Land Rover. Thank you, random stranger. The east side of the harbor is lovely on a good day, but can be really nasty if there is a strong wind. Passengers started arriving on the Pencaro shore around 2.15, and the last came ashore live around 5 p.m. Most of the 200 survivors that ended up on this side of the harbor came ashore between Camp Bay and Hines Point. This was where the bodies of 42 people lost oh in the disaster God. ended up. Oh. Wow. The small boats that kinda, were... I was kind of wondering how many it was going to be. I know. Be. Well, we heard like 50-some before, right? Yeah. The small boats that were trying to pull people from the water could not be close enough because of the rocks around Pencaro to help some of the survivors. The Tahimaranda ventured too close trying to help people and became a victim of the rocks herself. Her crew got off safely, but she was smashed to bits. Mm. Rescuers had to stand off and watch as people were driven by the waves into the rocks. That's brutal. In every sense. Uh, Once out of the water, the wind made things worse for wet survivors who were already weak from their ordeal. Yeah. Many lacked the strength to drag themselves out of the water and more than a few died before help could get to them. That's terrible. Mm. Can you imagine like having to watch people die like that? That's no, that's, I can't. That's like watching people be tortured. I, that's I horrible. Again, let's, uh, let's move let's on. Let's move on. Yeah. Wellington's second pilot launch, the Arahina, had to deal with 30-foot waves. That, that, that's still that's I know fucking insane. I know it it just it becomes almost meaningless because it's just They're so massive. high. Yeah, I'm gonna guess like the tallest wave I've ever seen was in the realm of like 15 to 20 feet, and that was you mean, like, in huge. Person? Yes. Were you out on in the water mm-hmm. at the time? Yeah. Oh wow. But it was fucking huge. Yes. But I know. If you look up at something. But like I that. know that it, there was no way it was higher than 20 feet, and there was probably no way it was less than 15. But it was it was up there. But how close to you was oh, it? Oh, I, I I bodyboarded off of it. Like I was Jesus. I was but I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> now you have to promise me that when you're in Jacksonville <laughs> Beautiful Jacksonville, Florida for Oh, this the Bills this will game, this will come out the day after the Bills uh, go to six and two after you'll be a win over when this is coming out. Yes. Yes, mm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, enjoy your time and Florida's greatest city. Yeah. Second greatest city, I believe. Behind Tallahassee. Oh, yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. And let's not forget Gainesville. There's, you Never know. Been. You're not missing much. There's the swamp, the other swamp, and then the paper this is, mill this is city my, on uh, the river. Well, this will be my first time hanging out in Jacksonville. Um, my aunt and uncle used to live in, well, my aunt still does live in, mm-hmm. but they lived in like the suburbs and I never yeah. went into the city or the downtown or anything. So, oh, I'm sure it's great. Hey, we're staying on the river walk. It looks very lovely at night. Take a nice big inhale of that paper mill. <laughs> You'll feel like you're back home. I was going to say, I've, we have right. one of those back where I grew up, so I know what that smells like. <laughs> So 30-foot waves. Yes. (laughs) The crew quickly realized that people were being pushed toward the southeast, so that was the direction they headed, picking up people out of the water on their way. It took two people to drag a person wearing a life jacket aboard, and they soon lost track of time. Yeah, that that makes sense. You can't... That's... No, because you're... Pull it. Like, first of all, hauling somebody... And you're literally dead weight like that. Soaking wet Mm -hmm. dead weight. That you're pulling from the water. Yeah, you're not going to do that so, with one person. No. 
probably one person grabs the sh- one shoulder of mm-hmm. the life jacket, the other person grabs the other, and you, and you just haul. Just get them on, and then you just go for the next one. Yeah. Like they're fish. Jeez, yeah, right? Captain Doug Newey took them as close to the rocks as he could. On at least one occasion, he felt his launch scrape the seabed as they rescued mm. 55 people overall. Wow. Nice. Doug then took his passengers and dropped them off at Seaton Wharf. Wahine's lifeboard S3, steered by Terry Victory. That's a great name. That's just Terry a, Victory. Terry Victory. Sounds like a wrestling name. It does. <laughs> maybe, he's a, maybe he's a New Zealand wrestling legend. Maybe. Terry Victory. That would be a great one. Rode the surf all the way onto Eastburn's Muratai Beach. Wow. So they just, they actually beached. Locals helped pull the three-ton boat up out of danger. Wow. Buses were waiting to take people to Wellington Railway Station, but many of the Eastburn locals would have none of it. They took the injured and hypothermic directly to the RSA, where they were given blankets, hot soup, and clothing. Local businesses donated what they could, and the first batch of soup was taken directly to Burden's Gate. The residents of Eastburn have never been properly recognized for their efforts on that day. That's always, like, really nice when there's a horrible disaster. Mm-hmm. The locals, like, coming together. It happens, and... but it happens all the time. It does. It really it does. It does. You just hope that you'll be one of the people mm-hmm. who will, well, plan to be one of the people who would do that if it was called upon to do. Or one of the people that, not plan on one of the people that needs it. But hope to be one of the people to count on the kindness of strangers, mm-hmm. right? You know, if, if that has to happen, yeah. The Wahine ended up on her side, just off Seatone C- Bay, near the wreck of the Willie M that sank in 1889. Wow. That wreck was considered a navigation hazard, being so close to the shore and also near the shipping channel. It was cut into sections and sold as scrap. The salvage operations took operation took five years, and the scrap value didn't cover the cost of the salvage work. Now, I could have said that wrong. I feel like... I was talking about the Willie M. No, that was all about the, the Wahine, that, the, mm. the scrap and all that. A lot of Wellingtonians place an unfair blame on the tug Tapui for not being able to save the Wahine. This is not fair as they forgot she saved over 170 people. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. And was never built to handle the conditions she had to deal with. I'm not sure anything is. Right? Obviously not. Otherwise, we'd have ships that, oh, 40 foot waves, no problem. Mm-hmm. But like, right? like that that ship doesn't exist. No. No. She was replaced with two far more powerful tugs. In the early 90s, a local businessman bought Auckland's identical tugboat, the Aucklander, and renamed it the Tapui 2. He moored at a permanent mooring at, at Oriental Bay and refurbished it as a restaurant. Huh. Some locals were upset because they felt the original Tapui had had led let them down, but that does a disservice to the crew on the day. Over time, Wellington has become more forgiving of the Tapui, and in 2013, one of the three new Wellington tugs was named after her. She took pride of place at the 45th anniversary of the sinking of the Wahine. Hmm. In 1972, the Rangatira took over the Littleton to Wellington run, and the Maori was laid up. In 1974, the trip had become unprofitable, so the service was discontinued, and the Rangatira was sold off. There's been talk many times about the service restarted, but it was never a comfortable trip. (laughs) The cheapest inter-islander ferry booking for one person and a car from Wellington to Picton is just under $200. 
It takes more than three hours to cross Cook Strait and go through the Marlboro Sounds. While the view in the sounds is stunning, it's really only worth doing once. The ferries on this run are workhorses, not built for passenger comfort. If you do a night run across the strait around Christmas, it is common to see people sleeping on the floor or in the cinema to pass the time. A ferry running from Wellington to Littleton would have been cheaper than flying you from the nearest airport and hiring a car. The Wahine claimed its last victim in October 1990. Mm. One-year-old Gordon Hick was revived after his little body was plucked lifeless from the water. I'm losing the thread here. I will completely... October 1990. I thought this happened in like 1968. Did I misread that? I... Well, I... Well, let's continue Sorry, Stephen. I hope I'm... I hope we're not just like totally losing the plot here. Anyway, there were no life jackets for such a small child. One of the stewards wrapped the baby Gordon in an oil skin and held on to him as they went into the water. The steward floating on his back, holding the baby on his chest, but a wave washed the little baby out of his arms. Gordon had suffered severe brain damage. Later in... Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, We're talking Stephen. about... Yes. Okay. Yes. He survived, but he had brain damage. Okay. Later in life, Gordon had never learned to walk or talk. He couldn't even feed himself, and he had breathing problems all his life, and when he passed away, he became the 53rd victim of the one. I... Okay. Sorry. Yes, we definitely didn't follow that plot there. So, yeah. Okay. So, he died years later after being an infant, so... Um, but, but still a victim. Still absolutely still the, a victim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Peter Button looked out at the sinking Wahine from Seatone Beach and, though, and thought there has to be a better way. Peter has grown up next to an, the airport and had a passion for flying. He realized a helicopter lab made a diff- big difference. Peter learned to fly and created a rescue helicopter service with the help of a neurosurgeon, Dr. Russell Worth. This became Life Flight Trust and turned into a 24-7 dedicated emergency air service. Nice. The Life Flight Trust has gone on to help over 30,000 people. I'll in New bet. Zealand. Yes. Yeah. Because right. the the advantage that you get uh, from being in a helicopter, because in a plane... Bird's eye view. Right. And you can just hover over an area. You can't mm, do that in a plane. No. Or in a boat. Oh, a plane. Yeah. Yes. A helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they can Absolutely. be like, okay, it's over here. Radio in. Mm-hmm. I'll Send get, down a ladder. Get, or I'll get these people. Yeah. Everybody mm-hmm. come in. Get these people. So yeah, yeah they can it's, also. It's crucial. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's crucial for that. Yeah. The Wellington Volunteer Coast Guard was formed as a direct result of the Wahine disaster. It is based in Evans Bay and crewed by volunteers. By early 1969, they had raised $25,000, and the first dedicated rescue vehicle was put into service. The original boat was replaced in 1989 with a rigid hull inflatable boat. The Wellington Volunteer Coast Guard has grown from a group of 15 people in 1969 to an organization with an active crew of 80 people. They are on the water every weekend and every public holiday. At all other times, a crew is on call if needed. Today, they operate two dedicated rescue vehicles, the Spirit of Wellington and Phoenix Rescue. Well, that's awesome. That is. There are four memorials to the wreck of the Wahine in Wellington. At Moa Point, just before Breaker Bay, the maneuvering thruster has been mounted. When the Wahine passed this point, she was just minutes away from hitting Barrett's Reef. 
At J.G. Churchill Park in Seatone, the Wahine's anchor has been laid out in such a way so that it focuses the eye towards Steeple Rock, where the Wahine capsized and sank. There is one link in the anchor chain for each life lost. Mm. The foremast of the Wahine was restored and is now part of a permanent memorial just before Burden's Gate. The main mast from the Wahine can be seen at Frank's, Frank Kitts. A plaque has been placed there on behalf of the survivors. Part of it reads, quote, Hundreds survived due to the efforts of a large rescue mission. This plaque is dedicated to all who assisted and that rescue. You save us hmm. from disaster and took us to a safe place. Hmm. And that, my friends, wow, was the story of the Wahine disaster. Yes. I mean, again, like... Yeah, like like once a hurricane, typhoon, any kind any of storm. any kind of ocean storm <laughs> oh, yeah. thing. I mean, there's half a dozen at least. Some we'd never even heard of until mm-hmm. we started this podcast. It's like once that's involved with ships, it's just like you, it's not. Good. It's just like you know, even though these people thought, oh, it's like a hundred, uh, hundred kilometers out, right. Like, you don't, like, yeah, it is maybe for now, but things could, and it's, yeah. Yeah. It's never good. No. I remember in our Q&A, like, somebody asked us, like, what is the worst disaster you would never want to be in? My immediate response is and will always be a fire. Mm. But I would have to say number two would probably be, like, a shipwreck. Because you are fucked. For the most part. Yeah, and... We're not talking about you got in a car accident on the side of the highway and all these vehicles can get to you within a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. You're talking about you're out on the water somewhere you know, and you yeah. don't know if anybody's going to get to you at all, and much, also, much less, you know, with you intact. Like, as someone who didn't learn to swim until a few months ago, like, the nat- the body's natural reaction to water, unless you're, like, massively comfortable with the water, is fuck this get me the <laughs> fuck out of, of here it is i've never had that feeling and the disorient well imagine anyway. like you're you're stunned and you don't mm-hmm. like if if you're deliberately going into the water not sure. so much right but imagine you're supposed to be on something solid and then all of a sudden you're in the water yeah, yeah that's, that's disorienting yeah. yes and i do not imagine that drowning is a pleasant death i feel like that would be that a would, horrible death that might be the worst it's up there. Yeah. It's up there. Like, burns are up there, too. And so is, like, smoke inhalation and stuff. Like, anything that suffocates you, mm-hmm. which is what drowning is. Yes. Suffocating it's you with water. It's a loss of oxygen. But, yeah. ugh. Right, well, well, just cheery thoughts and <laughs> yes. today's episode. So, uh, Christmas uh, anti-capitalist giveaway. Yes. <laughs> Positive well, thoughts. You know what? We have a, a several participants who are from New Zealand, so that should be super oh, fun. Oh, yes, we do. Yeah. We'll get all the postage figured out there. <laughs> if uh, if you are a listener in New Zealand and we match up, you know you are getting something uh, hockey-related. So just <laughs> Somebody's got to represent the Hurricanes in, in New there Zealand. There you go. You're going to get a Hurricanes shirt <laughs> that you have there's to gotta wear be one, in New there's, Zealand. There's got to be one. And just people are like, what the fuck <laughs> is that? What is that? <laughs> But if you send that, us an all-black shirt, that would that be new, awesome. Is that new cricket team, mate? <laughs> Nailed that accent, I'm sure. I know they play cricket. I know, I know that for a fact. 
from New Zealand. I thought rugby yes. was the thing. Well, that they do that too, but they play cricket as well. Okay. I, th- I think. Right? right? <laughs> I don't know. We have several Kiwi listeners. You can let us know. Do you play cricket? Do you? Hey, you must. <laughs> you must, because he said you do. Yes, because I said so. Uh, well, I mean, again, thank you very much, Stephen. That yes. was yes. excellent research, as always. I think that's the third oh, multiple. of his we've done. Yeah, and we've got a couple more of Stephen's. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's cranked him out. He's been a good <laughs> he's been a good producer for us. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we appreciate it very much. Yes, we very much do appreciate it. And uh, again, excellent storytelling. You can tell, like, you can always tell when it's a, a Steven script. He's very into yes. it and very mm-hmm. detailed. Very detail oriented. Yes, which is which is awesome. Yeah. So that was the Wahini disaster. And this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And we'll see you next week.